Hey guys, remember our hamster Nacho? He has this thing where he bites his water bowl when it's out of water. For some reason, he doesn't like drinking from those water bottles for hamsters, so we put a bowl in his cage instead. I don't know if all hamsters are like this, but I think it's pretty smart. Nacho is getting fat, though. He seldom runs on his wheel, and my dad is always feeding him nuts even when we keep telling him not to. He doesn't really like Nacho all that much, though. He seems to be afraid of all hamsters because they look like mice. Every time Emily tries to get him to play with Nacho, he goes all, Rat! Rat! Ew! I can't really tell if he's being serious or he, if he was just playing with us. Dumborton by Ginger John Chapter 4 George lifted my bed with a grunt and moved it to into my room in the attic. He set it down and I helped push it further inside where I wanted it. We had just come back from the shopping center and bought everything on my list. I flicked on the lights because it was getting dark. It was sort of a yellow hue, very calming and pleasant. I can do all this by myself, you know, I said as George struggled to lift the large potted devil's ivy. Its leaves masked its face, his face as he carried it over to the corner of the room. I doubt that, Avery. This, these pieces of furniture are very heavy and fragile, George said, gr- gripping tightly on the brick red flower pot until his knuckles turned white. There is no way a 13-year-old girl can manage to lift all these. I took hold of the plant from him and raised it over my head without breaking a sweat. See? I can handle it. George told me to set it down. That's dangerous. The armchair, furry carpet, floor lamp, and the desk were still outside in the hallway, waiting to be moved in. But so far, my room was looking great. I picked up the oval mirror with the fancy frame, which I was leaning against, which was leaning against the door, and hung it on the nail George had placed in the wall. I adjusted it to the perfect angle and admired myself in it. Me, Avery Gray, in silk clothing and living in a villa? I still couldn't believe it was happening. This morning I was still living in a shabby orphanage, with the cruelest woman in the town for a guardian. Yet now, I was living the life of a queen. My life had changed in less than a day once again. George saw me staring in the mirror. Have you never seen a mirror before? He joked. I just can't believe this is happening, I said. Well, you'd better believe it, George said. This is your home now. All I want is for you to feel like it is. When this feels like home to you, When you feel like I really am your father, that's when all my dreams have come true. I smiled at him, my heart blooming. You are my father, George. George smiled back at me. It was the first time I had ever seen him smile. He hugged me and we continued to move my furniture into the attic. When it was all done, it was already 8 o'clock. I hung a clock on the wall mostly to make sure I wouldn't be late to meet Monica on the roof of the orphanage. 
I would have to go after George went to bed, since he would never allow me to go out by myself in the middle of the night. He and I had dinner in the dining room. It was so delicious I didn't ever want to stop eating. George had made steaks for dinner, with carrots and potatoes and beans on the side. I poured myself some sparkling water with a lot of ice cubes, and George had some red wine. The sparkling water felt cool and prickly in my mouth, like the magical bubbles had all come to life and were leaping and dancing on my tongue. I had never had sparkling water before. George seemed to be surprised I had it. I guess he was used to being rich, and I was used to being homeless. George, re- George was really kind. He didn't yell if I didn't have table manners, or if I spoke inappropriately. Instead, he would teach me how to improve, unlike Mrs. Merriam. With him, I had completely forgotten about my sad life with Mrs. Merriam at the Orange Star Orphanage. George, do I have to go to school? I asked suddenly. Of course you do, he answered, wiping his mouth clean. You'll start this Monday. But where? At the spectacular Orange Star Schooling Center, I gasped. My friends and I back at the orphanage met the students at Spectacular before. They laughed at our ragged clothing and how dirty they were. I couldn't believe I had to become one of them. But isn't that a school for wealthy kids? Those snobby rich kids with their perfect manners and taunts. I can't stand them, George. George shook his head. Avery, it is wrong to think all rich kids are snobby. Just because their parents are rich doesn't mean they're not kind. I shrugged, not convinced. Anyway, I'm going to take a shower now. And after that, I'll be in my room, I told him, jumping off my chair. George nodded and I ran up the stairs to the attic on the fourth floor. I grabbed my pajamas in the closet. They were in the drawer next to my day's clothing, which George and I had bought in the shopping center earlier this afternoon. But just before I got into the shower, I decided to wear my day's clothes because I was meeting Monica later. I took an extra long time in the shower. My skin turned all wrinkly and it felt so thin and fragile. I was afraid with one scratch, my skin would come off. I needed to make sure when I got out of the shower, George was already asleep. I pulled the pink top over my head and adjusted it. Then the denim shorts. I didn't choose anything too expensive at the shopping center since I didn't want George to think I was snobby like some of the other rich children. I brushed my teeth and combed my hair, then I crept out of my bedroom and down the stairs to the living room. All of the lights were out. George must have been in his bedroom. I saw the keys hanging on the hook next to the door, so I took it and tucked it in my pocket. I opened the door quietly and headed towards the Orange Star Orphanage. The streets were dark. I ran as fast as I could, using the moonlight and stars as a guide. I followed the signposts and finally reached the orphanage. I saw a figure moving. It was Monica trying to climb onto the roof. I chuckled to myself and hopped over the fences, rushing over to my friend. Monica leapt onto the grass with a frustrated sigh. Avery, she exclaimed as she saw me, hugging me. So, how's your adoptive father? I shrugged. Well, he's nice, but I still miss this place a lot. Not Mrs. Miriam, though. Of course. Monica laughed and hugged me again. I helped her up to the roof, and we both sat there looking at the night sky. 
I have the nicest view in my bedroom, I told my friend. You can see the whole town from up there. I bet it's even better at night, but I haven't seen it yet. Monica squinted. Can you see your house from here? I asked. She asked. Yeah, it's that one over there, I said, pointing. It's very big. It is. My adoptive father, George Peterson, he's a billionaire. No way. Good for you. Last night, I successfully snuck back to my new house and to my new room without being seen. But if I was going to do this every night from now on, I wasn't sure if I could hide it from George. Would he approve if I told him I visited to the orphanage every night after he went to sleep? Probably not. The days passed quickly and I was getting used to George and the new house. He supported me and taught me many things. I was nervous when Monday, Monday arrived, and today George gave me the spectacular uni school uniform. It was gray with a stripe of blue. The collar was blue as well, and so was the skirt. It was my first step to being a snobby rich kid. Here, this'll look cute on you, George said, placing a blue bow on my head. The bow matched the uniform perfectly. I pulled my crew-length socks up to my knees and my backpack to my shoulders, looking into the mirror. I looked so different. George handed me the package lying on my desk. It had a ribbon on it, and the tag said, To Avery. What's this? I asked curiously. Something you should have. Open it, George urged. I tore the wrapping paper apart and revealed a little rectangle box. I lifted the lid and found a brand new phone inside. It was silver and the screen was shiny. The reflection of myself was crystal clear. Cool, I examined. I exclaimed. I had never owned a phone before or any kind of gadget. I figured if you're going to school, you would need a tool to communicate with, right? George said. But remember, no games are in class. Cross my heart. I laughed and tucked the phone in my pocket. After a quick setup for my new phone, George and I had a wonderful breakfast and he drove me to school in his truck. The school building rose into view. The golden letters SOSC was on display under the moonlight. What does SOSC stand for? I asked curiously. George glanced at the billboard-like sign. It's short for Spectacular Ornstar Schooling Center. I snickered. I still think spectacular is a weird name for a school. George shrugged and agreed. I stared at the, the large letters. S-O-S-C. More like school of snobby children. He gave me a dirty look. I chuckled some more to my own joke and got off the truck, trying to act casual so they wouldn't th think of me as a lonely little orphan who lost her home for the second time. I got into the school, passing several expensive sport cars on the way. The students were walking in twos and threes, some in larger groups. I was the only one alone. I dug around in my backpack and found some, found the freshman handbook in the school the school had sent me yesterday, which explained the details about the school and rules, and it included a map. I flipped to the page of the map and wandered around to find my locker. It was hard to find, since the school was so big, but I managed to find it. My locker, locker 249, was in the row next to my biography classrooms. 
I read the handbook and saw that my biography classroom was right across from my locker. I peered inside. The classroom was huge and the equipment was brand new. Though class hadn't started yet, I I could see a few students sitting in the room and studying. Nerds, I suppose. When I was just about to leave, I heard somebody calling me. Hey there, new kid. I turned and saw a blonde girl looking at me. She was sitting on the desk with, with her feet dangling in the air. Several kids were surrounding her. The ch- teacher was nowhere to be seen. You're George Peterson's adoptive daughter? I nodded sheepishly. That's so cool. He's a billionaire. A girl next to the blonde exclaimed. You all think that way, but she's not really that great. I mean, she came from an orphanage. They all started chattering in, in agreement. My first, my face grew hot and an urge of anger rose inside of me. Suddenly, I heard someone speak up. Don't be like that, Jessica. Just because your father's rich doesn't mean you can be mean to other people. The girl who spoke up for me had blonde hair as well and blue marble eyes. Her wavy hair was pulled into a high ponytail with a red ribbon. She adjusted the bow George had placed in my hair. I like your bow, she said in a friendly way. I immediately liked her. Something about her reminded me of Monica, somehow. Thanks, I replied. My name's Carolina, she introduced. Sorry about Jessica. She's always like that. She used to be my best friend, but now I see I made a big mistake. Thank you for standing up for me, I said. My name is Avery. Carolina laughed. I know, silly. We all saw you on the news. Being George Peterson's adoptive daughter must be amazing. She motioned me to follow her. Come on, let's go to class. The school bell rang and startled me a little, since we didn't have bells in the orphanage. I followed Carolina to the history classroom, where most of the other children were settling down into their seats. I sat down at the desk next to Carolina, since she was the only person I'd spoken to. There was my history textbook, workbook, and some other worksheets on the desk, and I stuffed them all in my backpack after I put my name on the name tags. It had been a while since the last time I went to an actual school. Mrs. Merriam taught us all that we needed to know at the orphanage, but we learned in the dining room. There wasn't even proper blackboard or anything. My school back when my parents were still alive was very small, and I don't remember it all that well, since it was so long ago. I looked down at my hand. The scar was still there. The scar that was there because of the terrible incident that had happened seven months ago, when the ship exploded. A sharp metal shred came flying my way and injured my palm. Now there was a permanent mark on my palm to remind me of the thing I least wanted to recall. The teacher was wearing a formal white t-shirt and black leather pants. Her black hair was had strips of gray, and her face was lined with wrinkles. The little spectacle sitting on her nose had a golden frame. She walked into the classroom carrying a pile of books and some papers, a pencil in her hand. Class, today we're all going to learn about World War II, she announced. Please look at the screen. She unlocked something on the blackboard and it split into two halves like a window. The teacher pushed it aside and revealed a big screen. I gasped in astonishment. The school was much fancier than I imagined. 
The teacher seemed to be in a great hurry as she pushed some buttons and a black, white, black and white picture of some soldiers appeared on the screen. She turned off the lights and the classroom became dark like a movie theater. World War II was a long and bloody war that lasted for six years straight. It started on September 1st, 1939 and ended on September 2nd, 1945. The classroom door opened and three girls walked in. In the front was Jessica. We all watched them sit down in their seats. Why are you late? The teacher asked sternly. I'm sorry we didn't hear- I'm sorry, we didn't hear the bell, Jessica answered with her head down. As punishment, you will have to give the new student, Avery Gray, a tour around the school. Tell her things that she should know about, the teacher ordered. Every recess, you are not allowed to do anything until Avery learns every school rule. I frowned. She was acting like interacting with me was a punishment and nobody wanted to do it. I saw Carolina shaking her head. Jessica gaped at her teacher. Her? Please no, miss. I'll do anything else. The teacher ignored her and kept on talking about the war. Jessica, who was sitting three desks away, glared at me with her menacing eyes, which sent shivers down my spine. It would be a tough week, wouldn't it? That's the principal's office, and that's the bathroom, Jessica muttered, throwing her hands around carelessly as she introduced the school to me. Got it? Bye. She grabbed one of her friend's arms and started to walk away. Come on, Jessica. The teacher told you to give a tour around the school. You need to be thorough, Carolina said. Jessica made a face. You're lucky I even did it. See, that's why nobody likes you, Carolina taunted. You don't care about others. That's why we're not friends anymore. Jessica scowled and walked closer to Carolina. I was afraid she was going to start a fight. You watch your mouth there, she said, and then turned to me. And you, you can go bother someone else. She waved at her friends and walked past me, bumping into my shoulder. Snobby rich kids, I cursed. I was right to say all rich kids are snobby. George wrong on this one. I turned to see Carolina watching Jessica leave. The anger in her eyes was just as much as mine. Her hands were bolted into tight fists and her face was red, her lips pursed. Suddenly, she started forward and stopped toward Jessica. Don't! I don't want to get into trouble, I cried after her, but Carolina didn't stop. She stepped up to Jessica and punched her right in the face. Everybody around us looked our way and gasped. Some people took out their phones to film us. A a group of kids from the photography club came rushing in with their high-priced cameras. Jessica stumbled back a few steps but didn't fall. When she turned back, she threw a punch at Carolina's stomach and all of a sudden they started fighting. Carolina grabbed Jessica's arms and tried to throw her over her shoulders, but Jessica pushed her to the ground. Carolina jumped up and tripped Jessica, who landed on the floor and pulled my friend down with her. I threw my backpack to the floor and joined to help Carolina. Also, punching Jessica felt so good. A crowd quickly formed around us. Some people were urging us to keep fighting, some were yelling for us to stop, and some were just filming and laughing hysterically. Just then I heard a deep voice shout something and the others stopped dead all of a sudden. 
What are you doing? The principal bellowed. The crowd separated and he walked up to us. I took a step away from the two on the ground to give them space to stand up. Fighting? This will not be allowed. You three, in my office. Now. Jessica started it, sir, Carolina cried. That's not true, Jessica yelled. The principal raised a hand to silence them. My office. Carolina stood up and straightened her shirt. Her hair was a mess and she untied her ponytail, pulling it, pulling through the tangles. Jessica stood up as well and her friend, or rather, her little minions, handed her a makeup pack. She quickly put some lipstick on and hurried to the principal's office. We settled in the chairs in front of the principal's desk. Why were you girls fighting, he asked sternly. Carolina sat up straight. Jessica was verbally assaulting Avery. However, she hadn't done anything to annoy her. The principal turned his gaze on Jessica, who was sitting on the left. Is that true? Jessica avoided eye contact. Eh. This is unacceptable behavior, Jessica, she said. Carolina stuck out her tongue at her. And you, Carolina. Even if Jessica was verbally assaulting your friend, doesn't mean you can punch her in the face. Carolina rolled her eyes. Jessica stuck out her tongue at her. Then she turned to me. Avery, involving in a fight on your first day is not a good first impression. I don't know if that's why they that's what they teach you at the orphanage, but it isn't what us intelligent and civilized people do, he said. I frowned. Was this some kind of racist? Even the principal here was snobby like everyone else here was. Except for Carolina, of course. She was special. The principal picked up his phone. I'm going to have to call your parents. My heart felt like it was being squeezed and I almost choked. Calling George about this on my first day? This was not going to turn out well. Carolina sank back into her chair, a strand of hair falling in her face and she blew it away. Jessica gaped at the principal. No, please. They need to know about this, he said, dialing someone's number. He peered at the paper full of parents' numbers and kept on dialing. The phone started ringing and the person on the other end picked up. Hello, Mrs. Thompson. I need to speak with you about your daughter, Jessica. Yes, yes. No, ma'am. I'm sorry, but she's been in a lot of trouble lately. He waved his hand, dismissing us. Jessica groaned and we walked out of the office together. She was the last one out and she slammed the door loudly behind us. I'm sorry that I dragged you into this mess, Carolina apologized. Jessica and I had been friends for a while and now we need a little time to adjust. I can tell she still wants to be friends, but I've had enough of her. It's okay. She'll eventually come to her senses and realize you really aren't giving her a second chances, I told her. Carolina smiled and we went to class. I told myself not to worry about George. He would certainly understand. I hoped so. Lunchtime came and Carolina and I went to the cafeteria together. It was very clean, unlike the cafeteria at my old school. The lunch ladies were dressed like waitresses in restaurants and the food smelled delicious. The cafeteria looked just like a fancy restaurant. Carolina and I found a table in the middle of the room. She said she always sat there. Lunch was spaghetti with meatballs, some beans and broccoli. 
I ordered a glass, a glass of milk, though it wasn't a good combination with the spaghetti. I used to order milk every day at my old school because it was the only, de- the one decent drink they served. Carolina said she thought I was weird. I saw that Jessica and her minions were sitting at the table in the corner of the room. She was very far from us, but she was glaring at us like a hawk. I wanted to make faces at her, but I didn't. I didn't want to get into trouble again and further disappoint George more than he probably already was. Carolina and I chatted about the orphanage, though I didn't really want to at first. But after a while, I was happy to rub some dirt over Mrs. Miriam's name by telling Miss, telling Carolina how awful she was. She sounds terrible, my friend said in conclusion, like most of our teachers. We both laughed. Jessica saw us laughing and the word envy was written all over her face. She must have wanted so badly to be friends with Carolina again. After all, she was smart and pretty and definitely not a snob, and I couldn't think of a single reason why anybody would dislike her. She and I finished our lunches and put our trays away. Then it was lunch break. Carolina took me out to the playground, where many kids were playing hopscotch or jumping ropes. Some some kids were sitting on the edge of the slides, reading books. Carolina and I climbed up the monkey bars and sat there. I watched the others having fun. They reminded me of my friends at Orange Star Orphanage. What are you looking for? I asked, seeing Carolina looking around. The group that we should go hang out with, she answered. Then after a while, she pointed at a group of children playing basketball on the basketball court. Carolina jumped off the monkey bars and motioned for me. They're the best. We sped across the playground into the children playing basketball. I wondered if they were the only non-stops in this entire school. Carolina asked if we could join and they said yes. A boy passed the ball to me and I scored. They all cheered for me and we started playing. The game ended quickly because the bell rang in the middle of it. Carolina and I ran to our lockers, which were right next to each other's. And I read my handbook. My next class was geography, and luckily Jessica wasn't in the same class with me, but neither was Carolina. School ended and Carolina and I walked to the front gate together. I think George's picking me up, I told her. Are you walking home? She nodded. Don't you think it's a little bit weird that you call your adoptive father by his name? I shrugged. He told me to call him that. We said goodbye and I called George on my new phone. He sounded angry. I. We said goodbye and I called George on my new phone. He sounded angry. I sat on the bench and waited for him to show up in his blue truck. And when he finally did, I went inside and shut the door. The silence made me feel exactly like the first day. George started the truck when he drove. We drove toward home. You got into a fight today, he asked suddenly when we were about to reach the villa. I hesitated. Yes. What were you thinking? Jessica was picking on me, even though I did nothing wrong. Carolina stood up for me by punching her in the face. I needed to help my friend. George didn't reply. He pulled into the garage and got out, leaving me in the car. 
I sighed and got out of the truck too, running into the house and up the stairs to my bedroom. I flopped on the bed and laid there. The bed was soft. I wanted to lie there forever and never face my problems. Eventually, I went to my desk and did my homework, which was a lot for me. I was used to having almost zero homework at the orphanage. Mrs. Miriam didn't bother giving us any. I finished around seven and went downstairs to see if George was still mad at me, but surprisingly, he wasn't there. There was a note on the dining table. It said, out to shop for food supplies. Dinner was on the table, so I sat down and quietly had dinner by myself. I wondered if this wound between me and George would ever heal.